Welcome back everyone to the Let's Talk Podcast. I hope everyone's having an amazing year so far. On today's episode, we spoke with Mr. Patrick Anderson. He's a Clemson University scientist who works with renewable energy tied to agriculture. Technology is not cost-effective enough. I can, so I would say that's also the, the biggest and a decrease in the cost, the availability of that technology. We were able to learn a lot of new things from this one podcast, and I hope it does the same for you. Please enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Let's Talk podcast. I'm your co-host, Timothy Edwards. And I'm your other co-host, Kaylin Williams. And today we're joined with Mr. Patrick Anderson. He's a scientist here at Clemson University. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. And so all we want to do today is you are into some crazy, crazy stuff that we have absolutely no idea about. We would love if you just share some of your favorite aspects about it, like just what got you kind of to this point. Yeah. Okay. So the one of the first things I do is I work a federal grant project in agriculture for energy efficiency. So it's for the whole state of South Carolina. It's like $1.3 million project. And basically... I go around the state and I'm a consultant for farmers. Um, so the, the number one commodity in South Carolina is actually poultry. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, the biggest, that's the biggest industry in our state is Chick-fil-A, Zaxby's, Chipotle, right. um, all the chicken. <laughs> um, so anyways, it's a really big deal. There's a lot of farms, a whole lot of chicken and turkey is grown here. Um, but a lot of the buildings that they're grown in are very out of date you know they're from the 60s 70s 80s mm. and a lot of the farmers are in their 60s 70s 80s also <laughs> in age. Awesome. and so uh they're just a lot of them are kind of you know stuck in their ways or need help economically um you know keeping up with the times and yeah so we kind of help this grant was to help farmers basically incentivizing them to help feed america by helping them with their business. Because hmm. what they do is their business, and if they're not making money, then they're not going to keep growing food, and people aren't going to have food on the grocery shelves. Yeah. So um, so I go around and I help do consulting. I do engineer redesigns. Um, I do assessments on energy efficiency just to help them manage because like the, the barns that they grow the animals in are like the size of football fields uh, sometimes they'll have like 10 barns on their property and so they're going yeah. they're growing millions and millions of you know cows or maybe it's a greenhouse yeah they're growing food so so and energy efficiency is big because Climate control is really important for these buildings. They've yeah. got to have the right temperature for the animals, which changes throughout the animal's life. So, you know, when they're young, you want to keep them really warm. But then when they're big, they're putting off a ton of heat. So you got to try to keep them cool. Yeah. And, like you want to have the humidity in the building be the right and like the right amount of like oxygen versus like, you know, CO2. And, right. and uh, so it's, it's actually really complicated physics of yeah. like temperature and and the thermodynamics, fluid mechanics with all the fans and psychrometrics with like moisture content. Um, so we help farmers try and understand all of that because they're like, you know, my 
animals aren't growing to the right size, they're not eating enough, and they don't know why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or maybe their animals are doing well, but they're also paying, you know, $60,000 a year in energy bills, mm. um, which is like totally eroding their profit margin. Yes. Right. So, so they have all these, not necessarily extra buildings, but they have all this, you know, use of land and they have all this use of energy and obviously capital. So they're like profit margins are going down and they just need yeah. to be brought up with the times to be able mm-hmm. to. I mean, yeah, I, I get that. Awesome. Uh, I have a question, but I mean, if only there was a way to just minimize that to maybe like one building, that would just be great. But like, um, yeah, so, some of the um, some of the practical logistics of all that physics is is more difficult. Um, the economy of scale is it's like a kind of a delicate balance. So it's yeah. it's sometimes easier and cheaper to have. You know, ten medium-sized barns rather than like two massive barns. Mm-hmm. And so, do you work a lot with like solar energy, or is that kind of what's your what's your um, take on? So, I don't for the job. I don't work with solar energy. Yeah, uh, we just work on having efficient equipment and making sure that the equipment is managed well and it's used the way it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, some of my research, I actually work with photovoltaics with like the drones and the satellites that I was telling you about. Um, that's actually what I'm writing right now is I just finished a big two year project on looking at this big, what if analysis of what if we just covered every single barn in the state with solar panels Yeah, completely and not just, so most solar energy research is done from what's called the demand side which means the person purchasing energy, they're, they're demanding it. And then the, they're the customer or consumer. And the yeah. person who's supplying it, it's called supply-side management. So you have kind of two sides, the supplier and the consumer. Yeah. And almost all renewable energy research is done on the demand side of just how can the customer negate their energy use with renewable energy which is good. It's kind of lopsided because you have these companies that are producing all of this energy. And what if we could essentially upscale the demand side so that you don't just have solar energy on your house, but these, you know, Duke energy or Blue Ridge electric or, you know, any of these cooperatives, what if they had these big solar farms and they can just pump out electricity from the sun or you know, from the wind or whatever yeah. renewable energy you're looking at. And so that was a big part of my project was proposing an economically viable and engineeringly logistic practical way for solar energy from a supply side yeah. analysis. Wow. And what, would, what do you think it would take to get to that point? Because um, I don't think it's... I think it's less with the technology and more of uh, people. People being like, uh, well, why would I want this when, you know, what I've been doing for the last 50 years have been, has obviously worked in a sense. Yeah, yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's definitely, solar is not, hasn't reached the tipping point of being economically viable yet, or else everything would be powered by solar. Um, I think in our generation we'll get there, but... Um, I think one of the reasons it's not is because 
the technologies to do so is so expensive and the infrastructure that's already in place is really cheap. Like natural gas power plants can create and transport and distribute electricity way cheaper than solar. So it just, it literally doesn't make sense yet. From an economic standpoint, it's like, why would I pay more money to do something different when what I have is working? Unless like renewable energy is super important to you and that's enough of a priority that you're willing to like pay to save the environment. But most people for their businesses, they just can't afford that luxury. Not, not from an um, environment standpoint. Like, let's say uh, the environment wasn't affected by any fossil fuels whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And let's say that uh, solar was able to get to a price low enough for like the, I guess, quote unquote, average consumer or farmer to use and like it was the same price as fossil fuels let's say Mm -hmm. um like would fossil fuels or would solar win in the short term or long term like in that instance like like let's say like all the because i I don't want to say short term or long term um like the reason why i said environment like let's say the environment wasn't effective because obviously in the long term we want Mm -hmm. solar and renewable energy but um let's say the environment wasn't affected in the price you know like what would be the economics of that would like renewable energy when or with it in the long term or i mean anytime you can cut out the transportation you're going to improve efficiency so whether you're like growing your own food in your own backyard instead of transporting stuff from all over the world like obviously distribution decreases efficiency so if you could have your own needs met and become self-sustainable, then that would be completely, that would win. Right. So I think that if it came down to them being the same price, to me it would be a no-brainer to say, okay, I'm going to have solar panels on my roof, and then my house supplies its own energy to meet the needs that I want. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I I understand. Yeah, yeah. I was just because, I mean, Right now, it's obvious that fossil fuels will win in the short term, but in the long yeah. term, we have to switch to you know completely renewable energy type yeah. deal. Well, it's always inconvenient to change something, yes, especially our whole method of electricity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you've already when you've spent so many resources, you have infrastructure in place that works. It takes a ton of time and money to completely change that. Because you're talking about like manufacturing plants, you're talking about jobs, you're talking about like yeah, whole careers. You're talking about billions of yeah. dollars. I mean, like if you look at like cities all over the world back when like textile manufacturing and like you have coal mines, like city, like towns and cities that grew up around you know some kind of infrastructure or industry, and then that kind of goes away. And eventually the town just dies because it's not supporting itself. Yeah. Where do you think we're uh, headed, like, um, like global-wise, like, economically-wise and, like, food-wise? Because I saw something a little while ago, and it's, it's crazy because it's true that I think it's, like, the entire world's population, not comfortably, of course, but could fit in Texas. And, like, all the world's food for those people could be grown in Brazil. Wow. So everything else is... I mean, not wasted land, but it's like... Well, I mean, you're definitely um, dealing with some serious issues where no one really wants to grow their own food, but at the same time, everyone wants to eat whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, however they want. And so it's, it's difficult. Like, 
in a day, you probably eat food from pretty much every continent. You know, whether it's a, a vegetable from, you know, Mexico or flour from Canada or potatoes from Africa, you know, just whatever it may be, it's you, your food's transporting thousands of miles. And if you walk into Publix or Walmart, you're going to have stickers and they'll just say product of the country they're from. Yeah. Um, and so you have all these different like food classifications of like, well, these tomatoes were grown here, but they were harvested at a different season of their life. And a lot of times now, like produce is harvested before it's even ripe and they have hormones sprayed on them so that they continue to like be living and grow to ripeness and maturity, even though it's technically dead because it's already been plucked from the ground or the plant or whatever. So that by the time it gets to you, it's fresh, even though it's dead. And so you you have all this like kind of weird things. Like the other day, I went down to this um, like local food market, this little corner stand, and yeah. it's like locally grown produce. And the closest thing they had like the spatial distribution of where they were growing stuff from was like, I think Florida was the closest place. They had some watermelon from Florida. I was like, this is all like quote unquote local. And they were like, well, it changes on the season. And you know, we don't have any, we don't have a lot of good distributors right now that are local. And I was like, that's such a relative term though. Cause when I think local, I'm like, Oh, like this was grown like this in county. a yeah, this, five mile yeah. radius or this County. Right. By John, the farmer yeah, down. Yeah. You know, Florida is like how many hundreds of miles away? Um, so yeah, I, just, I think it's interesting how it's changing because you're going to have to increase the efficiency of resources and the amount of land. You have to get more food from it. Uh, to meet the same demands and more of yeah. the growing population and its increasing high maintenance. If you could change some simple things, what, what do you think you would do? Or at least kind of go in that direction to increase that efficiency like you're talking about. Or some like main things, I mean. Um, with the food industry? Yes, let's stick it, yeah. Um, that's a good question. I don't really know. I mean, I think in a kind of romanticized way, I think... It would be better if a lot of people grew more of their own food. Yeah. Not be dependent on corporations. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect everyone to. I mean, I, I know there's some like limitations because yeah. like we're not going to go back to being like pioneers where we like build our own houses and make our own clothes and grow our own food. And, but I, th I think there is some benefit to like just having a garden or like having some chickens that like lay eggs like they're super low maintenance yeah but i think it's it can be very eye-opening to learn that oh my potato came from the ground and i dug it up and it was covered in dirt and like little worms and, yeah. and so once i bring the potato inside and i wash it if it falls on the kitchen floor that doesn't mean you throw it away yeah because it literally was dug out of the ground. And so just little stuff like that, or even like, just like the mental health that comes from like being outside and getting your hands dirty or like being around animals and being in nature. Like, I don't know. I think there's like a lot of intangible benefits yeah. to just like a lot of things that it hands on pretty yeah, much yeah. Where, where, where you're the one out there doing it and yeah. trying it and 
you know, experiencing the, like the whole process, yeah. like, like the potato, like you had yeah. to go out like make sure the land was fine you know water it every now and again plant it yeah if you if you spent six or eight months growing that potato you're going to appreciate it a lot more than you know one that you haven't (laughs) right when it's your full hair yeah yeah. (laughs) so especially i don't know so there's a lot of things like that where i'm like okay i don't think it's reasonable for everyone to like be self-sustaining with their own nutrients but i do think there are some benefits that we've lost touch with in our society where we've become so detached from where our food comes from and how it grows and what goes into all of that. I have um, just one last question for you. Um, And I don't think, I I mean, you might have been asked before. I've never heard anyone phrase it this way, but what would you say is the biggest asset of um, renewable energy? And also what's like the biggest liability and, then like a third would be like what's the biggest leap are you seeing like nowadays where we're take where we're going towards a fully sustainable world you know run by wind and solar and uh, uh, you know things like that and hydropower and all that. Um, what's the biggest asset? What's the biggest liability, liability of solar? And then what's like the biggest leaps are you seeing? Yeah. Um, the biggest asset of renewable energy is the lack of cost, the lack of cost of fuel, um, because access to those resources is free if it's available. You know, obviously you don't have the sun shining at night, but or on cloudy days. So there's some limitations. Um, so I would say the limitations of renewable energy is availability. Um, and then the, the cost of the capital is still very expensive. Um, the, I don't think the technology is there. That's not true. The technology is there, but the production of that technology is not cost-effective enough. Okay. Like it, so I would say that's also the, the biggest jump that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. To answer the third part of that question is, I think seeing an increase in technology's effectiveness and a decrease in the cost, the availability of that technology. That's it. You think we're making progress? Yeah. Big strides. Tesla. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think think (laughs) in our generation, we will have huge strides of renewable. Seeing it on... where factories completely fuel themselves, neighborhoods fuel themselves... Clemson, Clemson's building power plants right now, they're not renewable, but, and the good thing is some legislation, like most states will mandate that a rural cooperative or an energy provider meets, you know, 3% of its total capacity with renewable. And so they're kind of forcing it along, making people think, okay, how could we do this? How would we do this? How should we? And I think that's helping. Cool. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I feel like we could keep picking your brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I could. I Come could, back on another day. I could talk about this all the time, but you're obviously working on a huge project. You just finished up and things. And yeah, I'm trying to probably get, getting some other I'm stuff. I get published and it's agonizing. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. thank you. We hope uh, the best Mr. for you. Mr. Anderson. Yeah, and, absolutely. Good luck with that. And I hope, I hope you um, just, you know, 
get those strides and like hope to see a whole bunch of solar panels on every single farm in South Carolina. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm your co-host, Timothy Edwards. And I'm your co-host, Kayla Williams. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye.